Hello, it's Wednesday, the 4th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. President Yoon Suk-yeol has ordered officials to look into suspending the inter-Korean military agreement signed in 2018 should North Korea violate South Korean territory again. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. A recent KBS survey found that almost half of Koreans do not consider themselves to be either politically conservative or liberal. We'll delve into this survey further for our in-depth today. And then coming up for Korea Book Club, we take a look at a book about communication called Happy New Year to Everyone to Raymond Carver. Let's begin Career 24. President Yoon Suk-yeol is making preparations to suspend the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement designed to defuse cross-border tensions if North Korea were to violate South Korean territory again in the future. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hey, Jung. Good to be here with you again. Yes, it's good to have you back with us. President Yoon made the remarks to its aides on Wednesday. This comes after, of course, five North Korean drones infiltrated the nation's airspace last week. He also highlighted the urgent need to set up a drone unit to carry out multiple missions. So uh, can you tell us more about what he said today? Sure. According to the nation's top office on Wednesday, the president made these orders during a meeting with national security aides and military officials. Senior Presidential Secretary for Press Affairs Kim Eun-hye told reporters that Yoon instructed the National Security Office to consider suspending the September 19 military agreement in the event North Korea carries out another provocation violating South Korean territory. The September 19 agreement, by the way, which was signed after the 2018 inter-Korean summit during the previous administration, calls for halting all hostile cross-border military activity. During this session, Yoon was briefed on Seoul's counter-strategy following Pyongyang's drone incursion, and he also ordered the defense chief to launch a joint drone unit to conduct recon patrol and electronic warfare and to accelerate system development for the production of small size and also stealth drones within the year. The president also reportedly commanded the army to prepare an overwhelming response to the regime's provocations and maintain a firm readiness posture. And the military quickly responded to the president's order to develop a counter-strategy to North Korean drone provocations. Already, the defense ministry is pushing to quickly establish a joint drone unit. Quickly, ASAP, uh, hurriedly rushed, those are the words here. According to the defense ministry, on Wednesday, the military plans to create a joint drone command capable of carrying out various missions, such as surveillance and electronic warfare. The military has presented a plan to enhance capabilities to counter North Korean drones in response to President Yoon's instruction. The military will push for the plan after a comprehensive review of operational concept, command structure, and organization of the new organ. Uh, while the process will involve a lot of reviews, the command will be created expeditiously, according to officials, by utilizing the technology of the Agency for Defense Development, the production of stealth UAVs and small-sized drones will be possible within this year, as uh, requested by President Yoon. The military will also uh, speed up developing the so-called killer drones that can attack other drones. OK, let's turn now to the latest on the parliamentary investigation into the Itaewon crowd crush. A hearing was held today and the parliamentary committee rebuked the police for insufficient precautionary measures and lax response in the hours leading up to the tragedy. Can you tell us more? 
Well, in the panel's first hearing on Wednesday, the ruling People Power Party grilled the former Yongsan police chief Lee Im-jae. He was arrested on charges of occupational negligence resulting in death. The ruling bloc highlighted how the ex-station chief arrived at the site too late and failed to request additional personnel from the Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency, a move deemed necessary to maintain security and order in the area, especially considering that this was the first Halloween festivities held in a long while due to the pandemic measures. And lawmakers Cho Sujin pointed out it took an hour for E to arrive at the scene because he drove. It would have taken only 10 minutes to walk. The casualties grew because no measures were taken during that wasted time. The main opposition Democratic Party and the Minor Justice Party accused the police of neglecting to prepare for a massive turnout, instead mobilizing resources to crack down on drug abuse. The opposition also asked Seoul Police Chief Kim Gwang-ho about deploying riot squads to prevent crowd-related accidents why this wasn't done. He claimed to have ordered such a request, but the SMPA turned it down, and SMPA Chief Kim said he did not receive such a request, only a request for traffic control. A second hearing is scheduled for Friday as well. Let's move on. As a global economic crisis and domestic challenges continue, the government put forth a package of measures to actively mitigate the impact while offering support for the public's livelihoods. Yeah, we'll be hearing a lot more about the government's uh, measures to provide uh, relief, uh, easing people's wallets somewhat with the New Year celebration, Lunar New Year celebrations around the corner. Finance Minister Chu Gyeong-ho convened an emergency meeting of economy-related ministers on Wednesday, and 65% of the central government's budget will be spent during the first half of the year, municipal governments will spend 60.5%. The government plans to hire 940,000 people, around 90% of the annual quota during the same period through a direct employment in the public sector to support vulnerable groups. And the unit price of energy vouchers offered to vulnerable groups, including seniors and those with disabilities, that will be raised by around 5% through April. Those for kerosene, which is very important during the winter, will be more than doubled. Financial support for food, education, transportation, and cultural expenses for low-income households will also be expanded. And we have the Lunar New Year holiday around the corner, so the government will supply a record amount of uh, key items in high demand from its reserves through January 20th. Part of efforts to bring consumer prices down during that time as well. Uh, some 30 billion won will be spent to offer up to 60% in discounts on agricultural, livestock, and fisheries commodities. And of course, you know what to expect during the holidays uh, free parking in certain areas, toll free uh, highway toll will be free for a lot of drivers, and entrance fees for select facilities will be free of charge as well. Turning to the pandemic situation now, travellers from China accounted for more than 40% of imported COVID-19 cases in South Korea over the past week. Uh, This comes amid a resurgence of the virus in China, of course. The KDCA reported on Wednesday out of 587 overseas travellers who tested positive upon arrival between December 29th and January 4th, 41.9% were from China. While the percentage of infected travelers from China were 1.1% of total overseas entries in November, the ratio stretched to around 17% the following month. Since Seoul implemented stricter quarantine rules for arrivals from China on Monday, positive cases from China soared to 76% of the total. At a COVID-19 meeting on Wednesday, the nation's health minister called for continued vigilance to prevent an uptick of the figures. Authorities again appealed to the public to get bivalent boosters to mitigate the impact of the situation in China. 
In other news, police referred Yi Gi-young, the man accused of killing his girlfriend, and also a taxi driver, uh, to the prosecution for a possible indictment. So can you update us on this grim case? Well, the latest is this. On Wednesday, the Gyeonggi Irsan Dongbu police station referred Yi on charges of murder by robbery, concealment of dead bodies, theft, fraud, and violation of the credit finance business law. He said he was sorry for the murders while being transferred to the Guoyang branch of the Ujongbu District Prosecutor's Office. He was covered with a mask. He said there were no additional victims when asked by local media outlets. The 31-year-old is accused of killing a taxi driver in the 60s with a blunt weapon on December 20th, uh, killed a driver at his home in Nepaju, then hit the driver's body in the closet. During police questioning, he confessed to killing his live-in girlfriend, a woman in her 50s, at the same location last August, and then burying the body by a nearby river. He is suspected of swindling some 70 million won from the victims by using their credit cards or taking out loans under their names. The police will continue searching for the body of the girlfriend and attempt to identify the DNA of four people through blood and hair samples taken from E's house. And finally, we end with some exciting news for baseball fans. The Korea Baseball Organization has finalized the 30-member roster for the 2023 World Baseball Classic, set to kick off on March 8th. So, who has made the final list then? Well, this is a tournament we have displayed some dominance in the past, and we look forward to keeping that streak going. The KBO Secretary had unveiled the list, and major leaguers such as San Diego Padres infielder Kim Ah-sung and Tommy Edmond from St. Louis Cardinals are included. Tommy Edmund, as you can tell by the name, is born to a Korean mother and an American father in Michigan. He is the 2021 National League Gold Glove winner. He recently notified the KBO of his intent to play for the Korean national team, as the WBC allows players to compete for countries of their parents' birth, even if they weren't born there. Mm. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman Choi Ji-man is also included in the roster. As for the pitchers, they were all selected from the current KBO teams or local pro baseball teams. They include SSG Landers Kim Gwang-hyun, Kia Tigers Yang Yun-jong, and NC Dinos Lee Yong-chan. The KBO must submit their roster by February 8th Korea time, but apparently... Even though changes are possible, a KBO official said this is pretty much uh, set in stone. OK, we'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Daniel, thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you again next week. KBS conducted a poll ahead of the new year to better understand the political makeup of the nation and what people find important, especially in the wake of the two elections held last year, the presidential and general elections. A big question mark has hung over whether it's appropriate to divide South Korean voters into conservative and liberal uh, groups. Are there any other ideas and values that could describe South Koreans? And there were some fascinating insights. We continue with our New Year in-depth news analysis series, looking at what might be in store for us in 2023 and beyond. And today we're looking at what this survey might tell us about the Korean political scene ahead. And for that, we have our good friend of the show, a Philip Professor Kim Byung-joo from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies, joining us in the studio today. Professor, hello and Happy New Year. Same to you as well. Happy New Year. 
Yes, uh, we should start by saying that we will no longer be carrying on with our weekly segment Korean Politics Digest this year, mm-hmm. which, Professor Kim, you were a key part of, of course. But uh, we hope to continue to invite you on a regular basis for your top political analysis on occasions like today. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, so let's look at that survey. Just to give more details, the survey commissioned by KBS was conducted by Hanguk Research. It was carried out on 2,000 adults nationwide from December 22nd to 26th, and it has a confidence level of 95% with a margin of error of plus or minus 2.2 percentage points. So, Professor Kim, what stood out to you most from this survey? I thought overall, you know, there are so many different points, and I was really thrilled to take a look at the original report of this, but I was told that Hang Research is not yet ready to disclose the entire report, mm. but they just uh, conveyed uh, key information to KBS as a core producer of this survey. So I'm still waiting for the original report. There are so many different kinds of points we can talk about. I, you know, I get excited uh, about some of the uh, very, uh, you know, very key findings as, mm. as well. Uh, two things I'm, I'm thinking about. Number one is uh, confirmation of what we, what I knew, what I thought before. That's number one. And then number two is a pleasant surprise of something kind of rather new to me. I'll start with the confirmation of what I have thought for a long time. Okay. The, the, the reports have confirmed, and, and this this confirmation from several different comes from the several point, different points of observation here, but I will uh, round them up together, uh, calling this way. I think we have confirmed that Koreans are, in general, more of a communitarian reformist as opposed to libertarian conservatives. Okay. So uh, what I mean is communitarian here means, communitarian reformist here means communitarian member of the society right who want to mm. live together with other people mm. basically and who are concerned about the changes and improvements of the system as a whole and reformist again you know who wants to change the status quo who wants to improve things going forward altogether and libertarian conservatives uh, which uh, i guess is not the case for korean people uh, the picture i have in mind is just like the people who care about freedom and liberty most. Uh, it's too bad for uh, President Yoon, who have emphasized freedom and liberty ever since his inauguration. <laughs> sure. uh, too bad for him. Mm. Uh, but uh, libertarian, you know, like who, who really emphasizes the value of individual freedom and conservatives who want to preserve things the way they are. Uh, we found out that Koreans in general are on the opposite side. They, sure. they identify themselves as the member of the society, member of the family, and the reformists who want to change system for the better together. So that's something that I suspected before, uh, but I confirmed once again that is the case, which makes me feel quite good because individually I spent uh, you know long time in the United States and I've seen that society uh, heading... Uh, into the the track of libertarian society, in the, uh, emphasizing mm. individual freedom, and and over a long time falling apart eventually. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a strong expression, but in my own observation, kind of society polarizing and falling into pieces of different groups of people who want different things for themselves. So, sure. in a way, confirmation that Koreans are communitarian reformist is a comforting finding for me. Yeah, I think uh, it's a very 
interesting observation. I think that sets the big picture for mm. uh, what you found in the survey. Then, right, right, you're saying. right, right. And the second one, the pleasant surprise, which I didn't exactly, uh, you know, quite expect, but something that I find quite pleasant and, and you know, comforting. That is, the political landscape, the overall. Division of the political bell curve, if you will, and what we found uh, through this survey of 2,000 people. By the way, I guess 2,000 people is uh, quite a good enough sample size. Uh, you know, we can debate how reliable it is, but uh, it's a reasonably good confirmation. And uh, they, this survey found out among Koreans, about 28% uh, of the voters or people are progressives, 24% conservatives. So. Mm. That's quite a good breakdown uh, in terms of people who believe themselves to be on one side, 28% right. progressive left, 24 on the right. But the, what's really important is 48% see themselves as moderates who do not belong to either side, 48%. Uh, I, I, we can talk about why this is good and all that, but, but this is a very interesting and pleasant surprise that I found the most the the point that sticks with me the most. This is a very very important finding. Sure, I think that's uh, what a lot of people will have taken away from this survey. That would have stood out for I think for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So when asked if the respondents identified as liberal or progressive or conservative, twenty eight percent said they were liberal, twenty four percent they were conservative, right. but almost half forty eight percent said they identified as neither. Right. So you said it was a pleasant surprise. Can mm -hmm. you expand a bit more on that? Why was it a pleasant surprise for you? Yeah, uh, people like me who have been all along for quite some time preoccupied and concerned about Korea's future, possibly following the path of countries like the United States and even uh, UK and some of the advanced, what used to be known as advanced democracies. What I have in mind is polarization. People mm. digging their hills, people who are not willing to change their position no matter what, uh, no matter what kind of new findings, new developments happen, they are not willing to change their position, which means there's a gap, big gap between the two groups. And then these countries are basically, with some rough expression, falling apart, literally apart. Democracy politics is about collective decision-making. If we, we are in the same country, democracy means you and I come together and make decisions for all of us together. But if you stand completely on the other side of the cliff and we cannot talk to each other, we cannot make collective decisions for ourselves mm. together. It's only, it will be only about win or lose. Either you win or I win, and then we sway the decision to our liking while leaving the other side dissatisfied, disenchanted, and isolated, and whatever. And uh, that's a social disintegration. And when we have 48%, close to half of the people, willing to change their mind, depending on the issues, depending on the facts, depending on the information... That is the healthy basis for democracy. Mm. People willing to make their choices depending on what they see, what they hear, rather than digging into their hills. So that's why the 40% of, uh, uh, you know, the, the centralist voters or moderate uh, voters who do not want to be called either conservative or progressive, this is a 
strong foundation for Korean democracy going forward. Let's look around this region of the you know, the region of the world. Mm. Korea is the place where for a long time we have been changing governments from conservative to, to you know, uh, progressive back and forth. Mm. And that is a very proud tradition, uh, something we don't talk about as often. We know countries around us in this region that have kept similar kind of political system for a long time. Maybe Taiwan is... Uh, close to Korea in terms of having these democratic transitions. But this is the country we have had these kind of transitions. And this number means that we will probably continue to have this kind of switching back and forth rather than going one to one direction, sure. which is not sustainable. The people, as we say, almost half might be moderates, but in the actual political arena, uh, the political fighting, there have been concerns that it has become more polarised in Korea. That is the concern. The political camps seem to be becoming more and more polarised. So how does that fit in then? Yeah, so that was the concern, and that's what we've been seeing because of the rise of technology and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, this number, 48%, even though it's a survey of a sample, is comforting news. Mm. We, we, we don't claim that this is the reality. This is a sample survey. But it is, uh, in, in the face of increasing concern over time, this is one comforting news that we, maybe we have a ray of hope. So I guess it's up to the political camps to try to win over the moderates. That will be what will be important going forward. Exactly. And uh, that's what we are hoping, rather than going for extreme cases of just serving the interest of the extreme core uh, constituents of their own, uh, you know, uh, trying to address the sentiments of the centrist, as you just mentioned, will be a healthy development of politics that we're hoping to see going forward. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how this plays out, especially with the 2024 legislative elections, but uh, we'll see how they... Perhaps the parties lay the groundwork for that with this information as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at other parts of the survey, Professor, it right. asks a lot about other things as well, about mm-hmm. what people prioritise, what they believe is more important when it comes to politics and society in general. Uh, what other parts stuck out for you? Yeah, uh, you know, having 48% of the people, close to half of them, declaring themselves as moderates, not belong to either side, but still... Uh, you know, within them or with this uh, sample population, still preference was quite clear that Koreans in general prefers this redistribution over growth. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's something that sticks to, into my mind. I mean, here overall, 55%, uh, let me be precise, rather than uh, redistribution, let me take the back, more sure. welfare, uh, wealth, focus on welfare. 55% uh, emphasized that's that should be top priority, and as opposed to 45% that emphasized the economic growth should be top priority. Or mm. one, one can argue this is kind of close to even sp- uh, split, 55% welfare, 45% economic growth. But still, I think the uh, having this majority thinking about uh, you know welfare side may be a good news because it goes along with the role of politics I just talked about, when people are willing to change their minds, that means people are willing to come up with decisions that serves the the community better, uh, country as a whole, rather than going uh, their own individualistic way of maximizing wealth. So I think 55% people emphasizing welfare uh, indicates that Korea has good news in terms of sustainability of the system. And then 
through politics, we will talk continuously about welfare while the mm. economy, the market economy, will emphasize free competition and recognize kind of like a winner-take-it-all sometimes. But if winner takes everything, the politics will come in and try to correct the market failures. So I think we have a good, strong indication and evidence that uh, we will have democracy and market economy working together in cooperation in balance, I hope. Maybe I'm saying too much of <laughs> optimistic things uh, at sure. the beginning of the year, but that's what we well, need at this time, right? Exactly. That's what uh, <laughs> the beginning of the year is all about. Right. So with this knowledge then, with the results of the survey, what can we take with it going forward? What do you think policymakers and politicians need to learn from this? I'm thinking about, on that question, I'm thinking about some of the kind of like specific issues here, for instance, and... Uh, uh, Yun government's recent seeming turnaround from focus on the center of the political curve to more of the conservatives, emphasizing, uh, you know, the the relaxation on uh, real estate market, for instance, and then the, you know taking side with the big firms in labor relations. All those may need to be rethought as the general election is coming uh, in April next year, uh, they might want to uh, re-examine their position here. And because there were indication at the beginning of this government that they were really indeed focusing on the centrist voters when they came in with only 47% of the votes. But uh, uh, recently, uh, after following the truck drivers' strike, we see some evidence that this government is turning uh, towards more of their core supporters on the conservative side of mm. the political curve, and some something, uh, this kind of surveys like this may actually ring a bell for them to review and revisit the 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 such assumptions. And same same message goes to the Democratic Party as well. You know, this is a time where they may face all these urge, urges and then situations where they may want to go for their core uh, extreme supporters. But surveys like this, rec um, you know, reminds us that that may not be the optimizing uh, choice in thinking about upcoming general election, what, uh, 16 mm. months from now, uh, in April 2024. Sure, we'll see if the politicians... Uh Interpret it in that way, uh, the results of, the of this survey. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be speaking to affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor, thank you for your analysis today, and we hope to have more of your analysis uh, throughout this year as well. I'll be delighted. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 37.30 points, or 1.68% on Wednesday, closing the day at 2,255.98. The Tekevi Kosdaq also rose, gaining 8.72 points, or 1.29%, to close the day at 683.67. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 0.71 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,271.71. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We turn now to Korea Trending, our daily segment taking a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. 
And for the first time this year, we have joining us Walter Lee to bring us those stories today. Walter, hello, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? We'll talk about the Seoul Education Office's plan to provide further help to families with a child starting in elementary school this year. We'll also find out what a university professor did to cause outrage among students. And finally, we'll learn about the connection some semi-finalist teams of the ASEAN Football Federation, or AFF, Mitsubishi Electric Cup, have with South Korea. Okay, let's get into those stories then. Stuff us off, Walter. Yeah, so the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education plans to provide a further 50,000 won to each child starting elementary school this year to help cover costs for school supplies. That's roughly around 39 US dollars. Now, Cho Hyun, the governor of the Seoul Education Office, unveiled the plan on Tuesday during the New Year's press conference. Now, Cho added that he proposed to Seoul Mayor Oh Sehun that such funds also could be provided to children who are about to start kindergarten or daycare. So you mentioned a further 50,000 won. Uh, so I presume that the school education office has already been providing subsidies for students uh, starting school. Yeah, you're correct there. So last year it began providing 200,000 won to those starting elementary school and 300,000 won to students who started middle school and high school. Now, that's roughly around 157 to 235 US dollars respectively. So with the latest measure, those who will be entering elementary school this year will receive a total of 250,000 won or $196 to pay for pencils, notebooks and other essentials for school supplies. Now Cho said the latest move is aimed to lessen I guess parents' mental and financial burdens while they prepare their children for school. He then vowed efforts to make sure that every student gets educational assistance. I understand that wasn't all. Uh, what other key plans does the Seoul Education Office have for this year? So starting from March, the office plans to extend childcare services by another hour to 8pm in public elementary schools where demand is high for such services. Students who attend will also be provided with free snacks. Also, the office will inject 79 billion won to narrow the education gap that has resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic. That's around 62 million US dollars. As a part of such efforts, tutoring services will be provided and various safety nets for learning will be strengthened. Sure, I guess the thinking is that every little helps for families at mm. the moment. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? So, online communities were heating up across the nation over a post uploaded a few days before Christmas. The post was about a university professor who had refused a student's request to be excused from class to attend his their or their grandfather's funeral. In a message posted on December 23rd on the online bulletin board of Yonsei University's Shincheon campus in Seoul, a student said they asked the professor to be excused from class and to not mark them as absent. However, this student ended up attending the class and not going to the funeral after the professor refused the request. Doesn't this school have a rule in terms of attendance when it comes to such affairs as funerals? Well, the student went to the administrative office to ask about such rules. The office said there is a regulation that stipulates a student can be marked as not absent for two days, uh, including the day of the funeral, in the event that the student or their spouse's grandparents pass away. However, the administration office was quick to point out that the decision is made at the professor's discretion. 
Right. In uh, professional working environments, there usually are quite strict related rules, mm. but I guess uh, they don't specifically exist for uh, college students in the same way. Uh, I understand that there was another reason why this particular post was causing a buzz online. Yes. So the student wrote that after the incident, the professor cancelled alt class one day. Now, the student was shocked to discover that it was because the professor wanted to be at the bedside of their dying dog. Many replies to the post expressed criticism about the professor's paradoxical attitude, with some calling the professor's actions absurd and some telling the student to file a formal complaint with the school. One reply said the professor's actions indicates that they believe their dog's life is more important than the life of the student's grandfather. Yes, well, so far it seems we only have one side of this story. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to see what the professor himself has yeah. to say on why he made such a decision, which does seem uh, unusually cold-hearted, to yeah. say the least. OK, let's move on to our final story. What else has been trending today? Yeah, so our final story is about how three of the four semi-finalist teams of the ASEAN Football Federation, or AFF, Mitsubishi Electric Cup 2022, are being led by South Korean head coaches. Now, the Mitsubishi Electric Cup is, is a biennial football competition that is often regarded to be the World Cup of Southeast Asia. The four teams that will compete in the semi-finals are Indonesia, Vietnam, Malaysia and Thailand. Yes, some of our listeners may already know who two of the teams are, as we recently covered the story of uh, two of the nations going head-to-head -head in the group stage. But for those uh, that may not know, mm -hmm. can you tell us who the three teams are? Yeah, no worries. So Vietnam is led by Park Hang-seo, Malaysia by Kim Pan-gon, and Indonesia by Shin Tae-yong. Now, we have often talked about Park on our show since he took the helm of the Vietnamese team in 2018. He's set to step down as coach of the national team once this tournament ends. Now, Vietnam are aiming to win the championship for a third time after emerging as the champions in 2008 and 10 years later in 2018. They finished top of Group B and on Friday will face off against Group A's second place team, Indonesia. Yes, Vietnam do look like favourites to win, judging by their history in the tournament and past results, but I'm sure Indonesia will be looking to cause an upset. Yeah, that's correct. So they have never won the tournament. However, they did finish as runners-up in the 2022 championship. Malaysia, on their part, are seeking to grab their second win, having won the championship in 2010. They finished second in Group B in this year's tournament after losing 3-0 to Vietnam last week. So an all-Korean coach final could be on the cards. Mm. Uh, Vietnam will take on Indonesia in the first leg of the semi-final on Friday, as you said, Malaysia versus Thailand on Saturday. Then the second legs will be taking place on Monday and Tuesday, respectively. That's where we're wrapping up for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you soon. Come now to our weekly segment, Career Book Club. As the name suggests, this is where we dive into the world of Korean literature through works available in the English translation and beyond. And our guide through this world is, of course, our longtime contributor, Barry Welsh, who has joined us in the studio now. Hello and Happy New Year, Barry. Yes, a very Happy New Year to you too. Yes, welcome back. So I understand that uh, you have a book for us this week with a very fitting title as well. Yes, that's right. So tonight we're reviewing a short story called Happy New Year to Everyone to Raymond Carver. Uh, the Korean title is Moduege Bokdense Sehe 
Raymond Carba Ege, uh, and it's by Kim Yon Su. It was initially published in Korea back in 2007, and English translation followed in 2014 as part of the Asia Publishers uh, Modern Korean Literature series. And Kim Yon Su is an extremely accla- acclaimed writer here in Korea, has a very long list of accolades, including the 1994 Writers World Prize for Literature, the 2001 Dongso Literature Prize, and the 2003 Dongin Literature Prize. And I thought it was very uh, interesting to note that although this particular story, Happy New Year to Everyone, didn't win any awards, it was a a runner-up in in three of the literary awards in the year uh, following its publication. So it Mm. was in contention for for lots of the awards. And Kim is uh, a a very talented writer. He he works as a poet, as a translator, uh, a novelist and also a music critic. Uh, and he's you know, well known in the literature scene for his love of the Korean writer Lee Sang, who we've talked about before, and the Argentinian writer uh, George Louis Borges. Uh, and his work is often interested in the nature of communication. Uh, and in the past, uh, he, he there's a, a nice quote from him where he says that the reason why I write is to find out whether the truth does indeed exist in the act of writing. And today's story finds him searching for truth and exploring whether communication between individuals is genuinely possible. Okay, so once again, it's called Happy New Year to Everyone, to Raymond Carver. Mm -hmm. How does it connect then to uh, New Year celebrations and what is the story about exactly? Uh, So the story is set on uh, New Year's Eve and I think it's in uh, in Seoul. It's in a city in in, uh, Korea Mm. uh, and it's told from the point of view of an unnamed uh, Korean man. Uh, The man's wife who's not present, she's uh, delayed, she's on her way home from work uh, and she has arranged for her conversation partner, her language exchange partner, to come to their house and fix the couple's piano. Uh, And her conversation partner is an Indian man who works in a factory and to whom she teaches Korean. So this man is one of her students and she's a Korean teacher. And the story begins with the Korean husband, the narrator, answering the door and welcoming the Indian piano tuner uh, and factory worker into his house where they then struggle to communicate with one another. Uh, And as they have this sort of struggle to connect with each other, the narrator is inspired to reflect on his relationship with his wife. And at the same time, the narrator is concerned or at least uh, curious about the nature of his wife's relationship uh, with this uh, Indian man that he's now hosting in his house. And ultimately, uh, some uh, truths will be revealed or some secrets will be revealed. And the narrator uh, comes to uh, a new understanding or appreciation of his marriage. And through this, uh, Kim, writer Kim uh, explores the act of communication between people. Okay, so uh, let's unpack that a bit more. How does Kim explore communication through this uh, meeting of a Korean person and an Indian person? Uh, You say they struggled to communicate so what types uh-huh. of problems do they counter right so uh the story is about this this uh the act of communication the nature of communication uh and you know h- how do we communicate with one another what what is successful communication what does it mean to have a successful interaction with another person uh the the, the korean man the narrator he is at 
first surprised, you know, he tells us he's surprised that his wife has made friends with a migrant worker student that she teaches. He finds this difficult to comprehend. Mm. He's bewildered about the nature of this relationship and perhaps suspects that she's having an affair because in his mind, what what else could this relationship be? Mm. Uh, and at one point he says he could not believe that it was even possible for his wife and a migrant worker who came from a foreign country for money to be able to become friends. Uh, and the narrator's wife and her Indian student, they've started a language exchange with one another. Uh, and so he uh, speaks to her in Korean, which he's learning, he isn't good at. And she speaks to him in English, which she isn't good at, But so they can correct one another and help each other. But because of, of this, they're forced to have uh, extremely, you know, very simple and basic conversations. Yes, uh, I imagine... Uh, there'll be many who are familiar with this scenario, those mm -hmm. who have had language exchange partners before and who've tried to learn a foreign language. But uh, you said the narrator at first has difficulty uh, understanding this dynamic, especially between uh, a man and a woman? Mm, yes, right. So he, uh, be, be, like you said, you know, it's a, his wife's having this friendship with another man and so he's uh, concerned, but he is relieved when he realises that the nature of their relationship is this sort of language exchange and he thinks to himself, you know, what type of deep relationship could possibly come from such basic uh, communication when they, they can't speak the other language very well. However, as the narrator and his wife's student, they spend the evening together, they spend New Year's together. Uh, it turns out that the student knows some surprisingly deep and, and personal things about his wife that he wasn't aware of. And this forces the man to reevaluate the nature of his marriage and hints uh, that perhaps... As the new year dawns, uh, things will change between him and his wife. Uh, and through, through this sort of discovery, uh, Kim suggests that there are different roles and different opportunities available to us through communication. Right, so perhaps less about language barrier, but more about uh, relationship barriers mm -hmm. as such. Mm -hmm. uh, before we go on, uh, the title... Uh, Happy New Year to everyone to Raymond Carver. Yes. Where does that second part fit into Raymond Carver? OK, so very good question. And I have to say, I don't entirely know. So Kim Yonsu is, uh, you know, well known in his career for writing, you know, stories and novels which draw on heavily or interact with the work of other writers. So mm. uh, at the beginning of his career, I think he was uh, very interested in Isang. And so his that novels sort of were a response to or an interaction of Isang's poems and work. And then he was also interested in uh, Borges. And so his stories kind of interacted with uh, Borges' uh, writing. And, you know, I haven't read Raymond Carver in a long time. And I assume that this story in some way connects with or is reflecting on mm. something that Raymond Carver also wrote about. Who, Raymond Carver, in case uh, people don't know, he was a... Uh, mainly famous, I think, for writing short story, American short story writer in the 1980s, who I think died uh, quite uh, young in the middle of his career. Right, so it's not clearly stated in the not story at itself. All. No. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but I'm sure there is a meaning behind it uh, for the author. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. This is also an immigrant story. As we said, the student is from India. Uh, we have reviewed several stories about immigrant experiences in Korea before, such as uh, Elephant by Kim Jae-young. Uh, this story was also about uh, migrant factory workers. How does 
uh, Kim Yeon-su despe- uh, depict uh, that experience in today's story. Right, so that is also a big part of the, the story and that aspect of it is also uh, connected to ty- types of communication, the significance of communication and the, the communication and the difficulty of communication. And there's an, uh, uh, an interesting essay uh, by a literary critic called Lee Kyung-jae who uh, r- writes in an essay called Time to Learn Foreign Languages that uh, no other contemporary Korean writer features foreign countries and people as often as Kim Yeon-soo. Uh, and this has something to do with Kim's intense interest in the ethics of understanding and communication, a very difficult philosophical issue. And we see this sort of idea about the ethics of, of understanding and communication uh, in this story. So, you know, we learn at the beginning of the story that the Indian man, uh, you know, he experiences, you know, prejudice and discrimination and abuse from the, the Koreans that he meets around him uh, to such an extent that he's he, he has to stop wearing his his turban. Uh, he says, you know, he has he, uh, he has his he's learning Korean. So he says in Korean to to the narrator, I cannot wear turban every day. Korean people don't like from factory. I must ride one hour on bus, say Al Qaeda. They're sons of B word on bus, you know. Uh, today's holiday, I will wear turban. So he too, he suffers from this dysfunctional sort of form of communication, right? That like yes. he, he experiences. And, uh, you know, this is a difficult experience for, for him. That's sad to hear, of course, but all too familiar as well, sadly. Uh, so then overall, what do you think we can take away from this story about communication, especially as we look to the new year and uh, mm-hmm. many of the challenges and problems we could all be facing. Yes, right. So uh, I, I think there there are some uh, positive things. You, know, we, you just mentioned there are difficult aspects in this story, but I think at the end there are some positive things that we might be able to take from it. You know, most of us know that we have flawed interactions with the people around us at some time or other. You know, we sometimes don't understand what someone is trying to say or we say or make hurtful comments or fail to appreciate the, the, the place or position that someone else is coming from or what their experience is. I'm not sure how optimistic Kim is at the story's conclusion. The story does end on a note of ambiguity, which, which it sort of says that it, it it is possible to have better communication, but it's really it's up to us. It's up to it's up to you. It's up to the individual to make that effort. And at the end of the story, uh, there's a really lovely section that I wanted to quote, but it was just too long. But the narrator, he's listening to his Indian visitors singing and, and singing in a language he can't understand. And at the same time, he he hears the the discordant uh, piano in the background. And behind that, he can hear the sound of the cars outside. And he says, somewhere in there, just like that, one year passes into the next. It seems I have no choice. I'm going to have to think about it. Uh, And I think the reader, we can take that uh, in a couple of of ways. Right. Sounds like it's leaving us with a lot to think about indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was Happy New Year to everyone, to Raymond Carver, uh, first pick for Korea Book Club this year. Barry, thank you for your thoughtful review as always, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, take care. <laughs> My name is Son Tejin. You're now listening to Korea 24. 
We finish up, as usual, with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features, reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Career Times and the Career Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, joins us in the studio to tell us about some of the stories. Richard, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, good to see you, Jen. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? Well, Huan Dongyi's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald gives us a bit of background information about a book that was published last month called Disconnection. What's interesting is that the book was jointly made by writers from nine different parts of Asia. Okay, interesting. So walk us through who some of the writers are. Well, they come from South Korea, Japan, China, Singapore and Thailand. Our listeners may know who the Korean writer Jung Serang is. She is the author of, who wrote the original book, The School Nurse Files. It was later made into a series. Yes, uh, Chong is a writer that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, actually. Mm-hmm. We spoke about her just last week, in fact, on uh, Korea Book Club about her hit work, 50 People. So she is a, mm. a very popular writer in Korea at the moment, although uh, there's not a lot of her works uh, available in English translations yet. Right. Then we also have writers from Hong Kong, Tibet, Vietnam and Taiwan. The article mentions that Disconnection is a collection of short stories and each writer interprets the word in their own way. For example, Disconnection among people, from society or across time. It'll be interesting to see each perspective, as I'm sure there'll be differences in the writer's perspectives, you know, because of their backgrounds or maybe Mm. even cultural differences as well. Okay, so works around the theme of Disconnection. So how did this book come about? Well, the idea started in 2020. Jung Serang received a proposal from a Japanese publisher to make a book with a Japanese author. But Jung actually wanted to expand the project to more countries in Asia. The author said in an interview that she was able to expand friendships and that the writers still keep in touch and keep track of each other's books to this day. This connection has only been published in Korea and Japan so far, but there are plans to publish the book in other regions in the near future. But our listeners will be able to get more information about each short story in tomorrow's article. Yes, well, it sounds like a fascinating proje- project and also seems to show the uh, perhaps growing influence that Chong Sarang is uh, having on the literary scene as well. Mm-hmm. OK, let's move on to a second story. What do you have for us? Well, many people have New Year's resolutions relating to recycling or doing better when it comes to how much plastic they use, at least for me anyway. Go Dong Wan's article in the national section of the Korea Times explains that there is a military city in South Korea that has had a revamp so that residents can be more green. Okay, interesting. So tell us more about the city and what it's doing to be more green. It's called Gyeongryong, and it's located in South Chungcheong province. There are over 40,000 people living there, and most are either military reserves or retired soldiers. The article mainly talks about a specific area of the city called the Shindoan district. There are about 2,000 households there, and a number of changes were made. First, streetlights around apartment buildings and ceiling lights for public underground parking lots have been replaced with LED lighting to save electricity. The lights in the parking lots also are motion sensitive. Okay, some small changes, but significant. Right. These do save quite a lot of electricity. Uh, what else has been implemented? The article also mentions that smart food waste collecting bins have been installed. When a resident wants to discard food waste, the machine automatically weighs the waste and charges a fee. The fee is then added to that resident's utility bill. Originally, buildings had food waste treatment fees, and residents were charged the same amount equally. So this change makes the most sense to me. 
Sure, this is a system that has become um, is becoming more and more popular in Korea at the moment. Uh, have these projects been seen as positive changes by the residents? It looks that way. The city's mayor Lee Eun-woo said that it has been successful because the city's population has an average age of around 40. Mm. He added that residents don't usually care for prejudices or double standards for what usually conceived obnoxious in other cities. <laughs> okay, that's quite a statement. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, these are small changes that won't uh, uh, save the environment overnight, but right. all these uh, small changes together will hopefully, over time, uh, make the difference. Mm-hmm. We'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. And that's where we bring our show to a close today as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So do join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>